Welcome to the Studying the Bible podcast, where every Thursday, pastors Dylan Dodson and Brian Androsian study a book of the Bible verse by verse to see what is being communicated and how we can use it to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We pray that today's podcast can help you grow just a little bit closer to Christ. Welcome back to our Bible study through the book of Galatians. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Uh, just to recap from our first session, what, what we're looking at in the book of Galatians is Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia because Jew, Jewish believers are telling the Gentile believers that they have to perform all the same rituals that the Jewish people did to truly be followers of God. So things like circumcision, keeping kosher, uh, keeping the Sabbath, uh, all these things that are outlined in the Torah that the Jewish people had always kept, they're telling the Gentile believers now that to, to be accepted by God, to experience salvation, they have to do all these same things that the Jewish people had done before Jesus came. And Paul is writing to the churches to tell them that basically they need Jesus alone. That because of Jesus, it's, we're no longer required to follow the laws of the Torah and the people that are not Jewish, that, are, that were not under the law, they don't have to kind of ad uh, adopt or adapt to these laws in order to be accepted by Jesus. So Paul started off in chapter 1 with a defense of himself. He's telling them that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not, he's not, he was not made an apostle by men, but he experienced these things from Jesus himself. And clearly people were, were questioning his authority and his apostleship. So he started giving a defense of himself at the beginning of chapter 1 and continues this thought in, as we continue in chapter 1 today. So as we jump in today, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verses 11 and 12, and it says this. It says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is continuing his previous thought that, that the gospel he is preaching came directly from Jesus. It's not something that was delivered to him uh, secondhand. He didn't learn this from people, but it was revealed by Jesus himself. And this is what differentiates Paul from the other teachers that have been spreading these false ideas that the Gentiles needed to assimilate to the Jewish ways of life. See, Paul is telling them that he did not learn any of this from men. He, did not, he was not taught this by anybody else. He didn't, he didn't learn this from men. He wasn't taught it, but it was revealed to him by Jesus Christ himself. Now, the translation we read says that it was revealed, uh, revealed by Jesus himself. And this word that Paul uses is, the, is, is where we get the word apocalypse from. And what this means is that it was something that was previously hidden was now revealed. So this thing that, that, that Paul didn't know that was, uh, that was hidden from him before was revealed to him by Jesus. So this wasn't something that he was taught by men, but it was something that Jesus revealed to him. And then he continues in verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So here we get a little bit of a background about Paul, which the readers in Galatia would have already known, but especially if you haven't read the book of Acts, it helps to get a little bit of um, an idea of Paul's background here. See, we know that Paul persecuted Christians before he encountered Jesus, but I think we can often forget that Paul, or uh, known as Saul at the time, before his name was changed, before he encountered Jesus, that he was an extremely religious man. He, he practiced Judaism, and he, was a, he, he, he had an extreme uh, devotion, and that's what led to this persecution. See, the zeal he's referring to is not simply just kind of devotion in the way that we feel like we're devoted to something today, 
but it was a a devotion so extreme that it would often lead to violence. His zeal led him to try and rid the Jewish world of wickedness. And since uh, since he did not believe that that Jesus himself was the coming Messiah, he persecuted those that followed Jesus. And in his mind, they were following a false Messiah. So he, he was an extremely religious man, and he thought that these people that were following Jesus, they were following a false Messiah who was kind of polluting the Jewish way of, uh, of, of, of life and of thinking, and that they were expecting this coming Messiah, but Jesus wasn't him. So he was persecuting those that were following Jesus because of how religious he was and because of how strict he held his, his religious views. And it continues in verses 15 through 17. It says, but, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had, come, who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. So what we have to remember here is that Paul was not converted in the way that we think of it today. Sometimes we can talk about Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, but he, he wasn't converted in the way that we often think of like a non-believer becoming a believer today. On the road to Damascus, Paul wasn't changed from, from like an atheist or a non-believer to a believer. See, he had always worshipped the God of Israel and expected a coming Messiah. However, however, he wasn't expecting the Messiah to come in the way that Jesus did. So essentially, if you want to kind of boil it down, he believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus. And we know that Paul was a devout follower of God from, if we look at the book of Acts, which outlines his life really well, but we can also see it in, see, see it in how well he knew the Hebrew Bible. And we can see how well he knew the Hebrew Bible just from these couple verses we just read. See, in verses 15 through 17, Paul is actually alluding to the prophets Jeremiah and Isaiah. He quotes from, from Jeremiah 1, from Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 49, when he talks about uh, God knowing him in his mother's womb. If we look at Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. If we look at Isaiah 44, verse 2, it says, This is the word of the Lord, your maker, the one who formed you from the womb. He will help you. Do not fear, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Isaiah 49, 1 says, Coasts and islands, listen to distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He made me while I was in my mother's womb. So as we can see, these aren't just coincidences, but Paul had a deep understanding of the Hebrew Bible and had a strong devotion to it. Paul here isn't just being poetic by bringing in the Old Testament. He's, he's using these references as a support of his own apostolic calling, that he is familiar and that he knows the Hebrew Bible so well. He's pulling from the prophets to communicate to the churches in Galatia. And it's interesting that Paul says he, doesn't con- he didn't consult with anyone uh, after seeing Jesus, and he didn't immediately go to the other apostles. Instead, he went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Why does he tell us this? Why does this matter? Well, Arabia is where Mount Sinai is located, and this is where God's covenant with Israel was made. It, this, this echoes First uh, Kings chapter 19, where the prophet Elijah had just slaughtered the prophets of Baal, and is being threatened by Ahab and Jezebel, and he flees. And first he goes to Beersheba and then to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And it says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8. It says, So he, being Elijah, got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to, to, to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And what we see here is that just like Elijah, Paul had gone off to be with God. After his experience with Jesus, he didn't go, uh, go off and tell everyone or confer with the other, apostle, uh, uh, the other apostles, but he went off to be alone with God. And then he continues in verses 18 through 20. He says, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem and, uh, to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. So Paul continues kind of uh, letting them know what he did next. It's important that he lists that he saw Cephas, uh, which is another name for Peter, and James after three years. See, the Galatians may have already known that he spent time with these apostles. So he's not hiding the fact that he saw them and that they spent time together, but he's making it clear that it was a considerable amount of time after his interaction uh, with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He did not get this information from James or Peter, but he did see them. So he's not hiding the fact that he saw them. But he wants to make it clear, this is after a considerable period of time, so he doesn't want them to be confused that uh, maybe he actually got this information from Peter and James, but he's saying, no, I saw them, but it was, it was after, I had already, after this had already been revealed to me from Jesus himself. And in verse 20, Paul makes an oath that he isn't lying. And this isn't Paul just being dramatic, but this, this, is, uh, this shows how strongly he feels about what he's saying. In fact, there's only one other time in the Bible that Paul makes an oath like this, in all of his letters, and it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.31. See, these aren't words that Paul just throws on, around lightly. We don't see him saying this often, but he's serious about them knowing that he's telling them the truth. Then he continues in verses 21 through 24 as we wrap up this section. It says, Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So Paul is telling them that he was still uh, relatively unknown at this time. All the Judean churches knew that this person, uh, Saul, who had been persecuting Christians, is now preaching the same faith that he was once working against, and they glorified God because of that. But he's telling them that he was still, he was still relatively unknown at the time. His, his, what he was doing, his name hadn't really spread, but they knew they had kind of heard the rumors that, of what was going on. So as we look at this section, as, as, we, as we wrap up this short section of Galatians chapter 1, it's easy to look at this section and wonder, why does this matter? Why does this matter to us today? Sure, it makes sense why it mattered to the Galatian churches, but Paul is still essentially just offering a defense of himself and telling us a bit about his journey. So why do we care? Why does this matter to us today? Well, I, I want to give us three takeaways that we could take away from this section, and not to try and manipulate it to apply it to our lives today, but that we can look and see how we can relate Paul's, this section of Paul's letter to our world today and how it can kind of make sense a little bit to us. So the first thing I want us to see here is that tradition can become an idol. Tradition can become an idol. We see in Paul's case that his religious traditions had been put, had been put above God. He was, a, he was a devout Jew. He followed the Torah, but clearly he was following it to an extent that God would have never wanted because obviously he was persecuting and killing followers of Jesus. So we see in Paul's case that his traditions had become an idol. He valued tradition over his relationship with God. Now, we might not necessarily have these strong religious traditions that we value over God, but we can often put minor things in place of God. 
We can put um, minor things in place of our relationship with Jesus, or we can view the way that we do certain things, or, or kind of our church tradition maybe, or our denomination, or things that we uh, hold dear. We can, we can take these things that maybe are, maybe are important, but aren't the most important thing, and we can put them above God. Maybe not to the, way, to, the, to the extent that Paul did, where he was persecuting Christians, but we can do the same thing on, a, on maybe a little bit more minor of a level. See, tradition can often become an idol. There's nothing wrong with tradition in and of itself, but we can, we can, if we're not careful, we can put it above God and it, it can become an idol. Second thing I want us to see here is that the knowledge of God does not replace a relationship with Jesus. See, Paul had this immense knowledge of the Hebrew Bible and of God, but that does not replace the need for a relationship with Jesus. See, do not get me wrong. Studying the Bible is great. Learning about God is great. Studying theology, all these things are wonderful and good things, but they don't replace having a personal relationship with Jesus. We can spend so much time just learning and, and, and doing Bible studies and, and, and reading about the Bible and even reading the Bible and, and amassing all this knowledge, but, but forgetting to spend any time with Jesus. See, we can read things and, and they're, they're fascinating. The Bible, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible is just a fascinating book. And we can read this in kind of a more historical sense and, and read these things and, and amass this knowledge of God and this, this, this knowledge of the Bible, but we can neglect having an actual personal relationship with Jesus where we're actually going to him and, and doing things like confessing our sin and asking for his forgiveness and asking for his help and actually having a, a personal intimate relationship with him. See, knowledge of God is important, but knowledge of God does not replace a relationship with Jesus. Then the last thing I want us to see from this section is that nobody is beyond the redemption of Jesus. Nobody is beyond the redemption of Jesus. Paul himself was not beyond the redemption of Jesus. Most of us, I think, probably haven't uh, done things to the level that, that Saul or Paul did before encountering Jesus. He persecuted Christians. He oversaw their killing. He, did, he persecuted the church. I think most of us probably haven't done anything to that level, but even though Paul had, he was still able to experience Jesus and experience forgiveness. So regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you are in life, you are not beyond the redemption of Jesus. You are not beyond forgiveness. Jesus always offers you to come in, confess your sin, and he always offers forgiveness, but we have to take that step to confess. And he says that, he says in 1 John, he says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful and righteous to forgive, a, to, to, to forgive you your sin. See, come to him. Nobody is beyond the redemption of Jesus. Nobody, not even Paul, who persecuted Christians, was beyond the redemption of Jesus. And if he wasn't beyond the redemption of Jesus, neither are you and neither am I. And that's what we see in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24.